Today's sponsor is Audible. With an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash G-O-T. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're here to do our 701 uh, spoiler cast, spoiler edition of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Aaron's got, I just, I presume a lot of just really amazing, mind-blowing stuff prepared for all of us. (laughs) Sure, sure. Myself included. Um, (laughs) You know, one thing, uh, as I I, I got some feedback from international fans, and I guess uh, however they watch it in England... In the UK, they don't get the next time ons. So they said, if you do talk about the next times, can you at least describe them? Really? So I thought maybe we could each week start off with a description of the next time ons and we can kind of go through and talk about it. Well, here's the thing if you're watching this on cable, you're doing it wrong. Because <laughs> I like, I, I couldn't believe when I went to watch this first episode of the season, uh-huh. I was going to watch it live on our cable service and uh-huh. I turned it on and it was so muddy and Cause shitty. You, that's because you're and... watching the SD channel. No, I was watching HBO HD. Are you sure? Yeah, it was muddy and shitty and crappy just huh. compared to I, – I turned on our Roku and I watched it on the HBO Go service. Looks a thousand times better. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you get the, the previously on if you watch on HBO Go. So try that, UK Well, fans. the thing is, do they is HBO Go International – I think so, mm. but I couldn't swear to it. That's I don't the know. thing. Like, yeah, I'm sure. Like, if if it's not, people are going to be like, "You fucker, we don't have HBO." Well, Go. sucks to be you. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching the muddy version with no previous. Uh, welcome to the Ugly American Podcast. <laughs> uh, I, anyway, let's talk about this. So, uh, the the preview for next week has Jan Royce of the Vale declaring a Targaryen cannot be trusted as Jon looks vexed. They're trying to bait us into thinking mm-hmm. Jan has discovered uh, Jon's secret identity, and he's clearly he's outed. talking about Danny. Yeah, probably, clearly, probably. Uh, Cersei opines that the Mad King's daughter will destroy the realm. Uh, Yara Greyjoy says to Danny that we have a fleet and three dragons. We should hit King's Landing now. Mm-hmm. A fierce wolf growls and barks into the camera as Arya looks on transfixed. Some woman throws a knife who I couldn't identify. Alaria and Yara kiss. Somebody, probably John, pits Littlefinger through the walls of what might be the crypts of Winterfell and starts choking him, mm. uh, which I thought was satisfying. Um, yeah. So, a couple things. Uh, this wolf, is this the... So, back in season one, we know that Arya set her wolf Nymeria free rather than let her face justice mm-hmm. at the hands of her father. Um, do we think that this is going to be... Because one of the popular theories is that Nymeria, like, like Arya's in the middle of making nice with all these Lannisters, and is going to come in with her wolfhound pack and just tear all their throats out. And Arya is going to like remember who she kind of like, oh, I got a little soft and, you know, or is that going to is that going to be a cautionary tale of what she might become if she lets herself keep going down this path and she's going to turn north back to Winterfell instead of his pursuit Cersei like good questions. I feel like 
that might be a little sudden for book or book watchers for show watchers only mm-hmm. um, to see a pack of wolves jump out of the middle of nowhere and I mean, start I don't... tearing people up. But it would also be really cool. Yeah, like the return of Namiria in. I feel like high 10, form. ten seconds of previously on establishing Namiria. Now the problem is Namiria looks nothing like this wolf. Oh, okay. uh, Namiria had a much sweeter. I mean, and of course, they could always change that, but she was. Mm-hmm. Um, they recast Namiria. <laughs> they could recast Namiria to be a vicious wolf. Uh-huh. Um, but Namiria was a little. Um, I don't know. I thought I thought Namiria is like the best looking of the dire wolves. Yeah, maybe pretty, Lady was because I don't. Wolf. I don't even remember what Lady looks like. But I was see. I was in investigating this. I was comparing Namiria when we last saw her as Arya's as making her go away to this, and like this. This doesn't seem like it's the same wolf. Okay. But that doesn't mean that. They just didn't recast her. Or also, um, you know, uh, Namiria is leading – is a giant dire wolf that's leading a pack of normal wolves in the right. Riverlands. Um, so it could just be one of Namiria's lackeys, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And maybe Namiria comes in there and is like, hey, don't don't hassle my former human. Uh-huh. Um, or maybe Ari gets her throat ripped out. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I doubt, doubt it. it. Yeah. I doubt it. Um, it seems like that there is going to be um, – I, the other thing is, I don't know what to make of Yara and Alaria making out. Seems I, like maybe just right place, right time. Like they have the opportunity to do it, so why not? Well, but if they do that, I hope it it's something meaningful for the two characters and not just like titillation. I mean, I guess I'm fine it, with titillation. HBO is too, known but... for that. I mean, Game of Thrones certainly has titillation for titillation's sake. True. Um, and Yara has already been established to at least be interested in the, yeah, uh, the she's, same she's sex. Yeah, she's bi-curious, flexible, yeah. he- hetero-flexible. So I I don't – whatever. It's fine. I is I, it do, I am with like, you. I hope like, – well, like, like, like I mean, people just... don't have sex for reasons like all the that's, time. That, you know? is, that is true. It's I guess... not like you have to have a reason to bone down. I, and then and, and that's true, especially when you've got like a pirate queen and the, <laughs> right. the, the lover of, Ob- uh, of Oberon um, going yeah. ahead. So maybe they don't need reasons. And I'm trying to – maybe I'm just a, being a fuddy-duddy about this. Hmm. I guess I'm what I'm saying is when I got main characters that are bo- – I, I guess I expect it to mean something. But yeah. you're right. There's no – that is a that is a not culturally valid way to look at the <laughs> thing. Um, then – John, why? What, what do you make about John choking Ling- Littlefinger out in the halls of Winterfell, or maybe even the crypts? Yeah, so this is something we've long been wondering about: who's going to bring, you know, to the attention of John his heritage? Essentially, right. um, we think that potentially Littlefinger has that information because of some early scenes in the show, because he's just been a little bit side eyeing Sansa uh-huh. and a little smug when she's he's been out in the crypts talking about her aunt Lyanna. Um, yeah, I don't know. The thing is, is it's a big question mark, question mark, question mark about how he would come to that knowledge. Right. Now, it might just be And why he would like, tell John. Right. It might just be like, huh, Lord Eddard visited the Tower of Joy nine months after Lyanna mm-hmm. was abducted by Rhaegar, <laughs> comes back with this, you know, child that he won't say who the mother is. I mean, maybe he's just that yeah. perceptive. It could be. I would buy it, I, yeah. I think. But there's also been a long-running fan theory that there's some kind of, like, wear guild um, in the crypts of Winterfell. Like, like Wear guild? Uh, that's uh, uh, something that you get to... Uh, to make up for some like like a something you take from someone to make up for the death of someone like if uh 
um, somebody killed you, and then I killed them and stole their car. Their car would be a weird guild. Um, <laughs> okay, so Just like John Wick's car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but there's like 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 Rhaegar's famous silver harp is buried with Lyanna, um, and hmm. you know like but how would how would Littlefinger know about that? Has he gone down there and just flipped open her her tomb <laughs> on a whim uh-huh. to, to kind of check it out for himself? I, I don't know. But it seems like we're getting very close to getting the answers to these questions. We have to. We're no more than 12 episodes away. Yeah, it gets one less every week. It's also possible that Littlefinger isn't the one who tells him that somebody else has this information, um, that it gets to John somehow, and he's angry that Littlefinger didn't tell him mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm not sure. Uh, the other thing is, like, um, I've, I have this on big capital letters in big font at the top of my notes, and I somehow skipped over it anyway. I want to address, because I don't know why people thought from our discussion of the leaks that we were going to consider leaks on the spoiler podcast. Oh. Because hmm. uh, I thought from our tone and tenor that we were pretty anti getting those out into, and, and not wanting to see them ourselves. But it, it's, it's a policy of the Game of Thrones podcast on Bald Move. That we do not, we consider fair games on a spoiler podcast anything that George Martin has released officially. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes Which, preview chapters, that includes all yep. of his books, that includes all of the A World of Ice and Fire, a cookbook of Ice and Fire, all the Hedge Knight stuff, <laughs> all the comics. Um, uh-huh. It includes anything that HBO has officially released. So trailers for the season, next time ons, things that you can get as a fan that have not been stolen from HBO. The, the creators did not intend you to know beforehand because. The the former are things that are designed to whet your appetite and then have fun theories and speculation. The latter just gives the game away. Yeah. So I have to thus far, even though I've been aware of these spoilers, I've been I've been able to avoid them um, for the most part. I, I I got exposed to one point that I half overheard and I was able to kind of like fuzz it out. And I, I I'm kind of fuzzy even on the details. And that was the thing that. I started realizing people were submitting what I think. I don't know. I can't prove it, but I think people were submitting theories based on, as, 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 as speculation. So yeah. Um, so now if someone does do that in the future, I guess, and stuff I'm not aware of, it'll just – man, that's, that's the problem. That's the problem I'm really worried about. How do you about. tell They'll, that? Yeah, yeah. I, I won't know. I won't right. know. Um, so I hope no one does that. <laughs> because <laughs> Which is basically asking the internet to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the other thing is that even if I am spoiled, because the other thing is I'm worried about is a troll sending me the spoilers, like in you know, and I I'll read them before I even know what they are. Yeah. Um. If I I will promise you this, if I do get exposed to the spoilers, um, I know Jim won't because he doesn't even get the emails, and uh, I will I will keep it I will keep it to myself. Okay. It will be suck because it'll, it'll shut off my ability to to speculate on things, but uh, it won't it won't you won't hear any production leaks coming out of this podcast. All right, so let's move on. The other thing I want to talk about, a couple of points before we get to the listeners' feedback, um, is I thought it was really funny because we talk a lot about the Valonqar prophecy that's only in the books. It's not on the show. That's the other yeah. half of the the Maggie the, the, the Woods, Maggie the Frog's prophecy on Cersei that after all these things that have already come to pass, after she marries the king and has three children um, and they die, that a young uh, uh, then a young queen more beautiful than you will come and cast you down. Something that also hasn't happened yet, but mm-hmm. there's you know some some princesses and queens out there in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is the Valonqar will come and wrap his fingers around your throat and choke the life out of you. Uh, now the Valonqar is a, a high Valerian word that roughly translates to little brother, right? 
Um, and I thought it was interesting that when we see the establishing shot of Jamie entering that map room, mm-hmm. that Cersei was standing on the part of Westeros that's referred to as the neck. <laughs> it's where the north and south meets together. Nice. And Jamie was standing off what is called the fingers. <laughs> And to me, that's that's some pretty solid foreshadowing because Jamie's like one it. of the popular theories because he is technically Cersei's little brother. By and it would be seconds, very, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fingers are also where Littlefinger comes from. That's why he's called Littlefinger. He's from one of the littler, poorer fingers. Right. So I, that that was huh. that when I when I saw that because uh, I was in a trailer I remember laughing laughing at it um, yeah and it, it's it's some pretty sick th- uh, foreshadowing the other um, a lot of people are questioning whether the maester that we meet that's unnamed that is tootling Sam is supposed to be uh, Archmaester Marwyn um, so in the book there is one Archmaester at the Citadel that still dabbles in the black arts and the magic he's got the hmm, Valerian. Okay link on his chain Valerian uh-huh. steel link and and in the books he's important because he's 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 got an unusual amount of students that are floating out there like miri mazdur the um the slave girl that ends up betraying uh danny and killing cal drogo and mm, you know right. she gets burnt yep. to death she said that she studied under this archmaster marwin and learned about um uh he she he she dissected a body with them and he taught her all the secrets that lur- lurked under the skin, um, and also Kyburn, the disgraced maester, um, sure. was Working one of Cersei his now. was one of his acolytes as well. Yep. So uh, don't know for sure. Um, he doesn't like I I didn't get a real mystical vibe from this guy. No. So I wonder if he'll be set up as like the square maester. like the one who doesn't believe in all this flim flam, and then Sam will find someone that's a little bit more sympathetic. Which will be Marwyn. So you don't think that's this guy? Or it could be that they Marwyn is not going to be because some of this stuff, it might be dead ends that the double Ds are trying to pare down. So you're just going to – Sam's just going to discover what he discovers at the Citadel without any help and without a lot of discussion about magical candles and all this other stuff. Um, the other question I wanted to talk, we talked about in the podcast, I said that I have, um, that I, that have more to say about is the purpose of Beric Dondarrion, because one of the other things I know that you're aware of is book fans for a long time. I think we kind of given up collectively looking for Lady Stoneheart to appear, to, to pop up. Yeah. And Lady Stoneheart, um, is the resurrected body of Catelyn Stark that the, that, that Arya's wolf, Nymeria, um, drug out of the river, mm-hmm. and her body was discovered by the Brotherhood without banners. And somehow, when they found her, uh, Beric transferred his life force to Lady to to uh, Catelyn Stark. Her body reanimated, and she became Lady Stoneheart. And she took the Brotherhood without banners down a more dark, vengeful path. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are wondering if the Hound is going to be the Lady Stoneheart of the series where that, you know, he's going to die. Um, Beric is going to give up his life to, to reanimate Hound, the, the Hound, which has the, hmm. um, has some, has some implications because, you know, people were hyped for the so-called club game bowl before. Um, I have to, I have to do it live because Jim, Jim, Jim's refusing to, to, to produce it anymore. I, I, no, I have it. I was going to put it in the last episode. I thought it'd be better to save it. Oh, well, shoot. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> so. but yeah, he's, uh, people have been clamoring for this ever since the Martin dropped hints and, and dance that the, the, that the hound wasn't dead. Yeah. 
Um, now we know he's alive and people got excited, but then they banned, you know, trial by combat, which is a lot of people thought the Clegane Bull was going to be Cersei, you know, the mountain fighting for Cersei and the faith choosing their newest monk. That's the badass mm-hmm. fighter, the hound, and they're going to battle. Um, there was a couple of scenes in a trailer where it looked like a guy like the hound might be fighting the mountain. And the fact that the, at this point, the hound would be kind of a zombie himself, makes that a little bit more symmetrical and a little bit more cool. So I think mm-hmm. I think the Clegane Bowl's back on the table. Everybody get get hype. Yeah, I'm not sure where the Hound fits in like to the Lady Stoneheart idea because he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy at this point who would take them down a more vengeful path. As no, and I feel it. like that's it, it, we we might be in for a D and D double D double D's remix that yeah. Last year, they already showed the Brotherhood kind of a splinter faction that's going and being, you know, a little bit darker, a little bit more villainous, and they were punished. And they're gonna they're gonna keep they're gonna keep the mechanic and the the passing of the torch of leadership from one to the other, but they're going to, you know, make it be the Hound. And that you know that's that that's where mm-hmm. we can start maybe speculating on what's going to happen to books by the show. Like, yeah. is the Hound going to end up running the Brotherhood? Um, I don't know because, as far as we know, in the books, the Hound is still in the Quiet Isle, g- digging graves and serving yeah. his penance for his life of of uh, violence. So, mm-hmm. but that's the things I want to talk about. Uh, let's get to the the listener feedback again. You can send us in Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. dot com. Hey, quick break uh, to remind everybody about the club, club.baldmove.com, a great way to support us and our independent podcast. And also, we got a celebratory sale for Game of Thrones. Right now, until July 31st, you can get 25% off an annual subscription by going to club.baldmove.com and at checkout entering the promo code GOT2017. Uh, It's it's exclusively for the month of July. When August rolls around, it's gone. It's gone. It's gonzo, dunzo. Uh, You can get a lot of great features. If you go to that club page, there's actually a showcase of all the different content. There's lots of bonus audio and video content. You can watch us live record the podcast, which is the the fastest way to get the podcast. Like, you can't get it any faster than watching us record it. Yep. You don't have to wait for Jim to edit it. You don't have to wait for it to upload. You don't have to wait for me to write an article. It's just, bam, in, in your eye and ear holes. Uh, and again, it's a great, it's, it's, we derived our, our primary support from our listeners and that makes us independent. We don't have to worry about offending, uh, too many sponsors. We have to offend, uh, worry about offending HBO. Uh, we can tell you the straight truth and represent you as a fan. And it's all possible at the club club.baldmove.com. Thanks in advance for your support. First up, Sebastian. Howdy guys. I was listening to your preview spoiler podcast and you wondered how John's followers would react if you found out he was a Targaryen and not a Stark. Uh, I found this interesting in the context of the first episode where John and Sansa go back and forth against the Umbers and the Starks and whether they should be judged based on the actions of their house versus the actions of a single individual within. Mm. John stands firmly about not punishing all the Umbers and Car Starks for the actions of a select few individuals. I think John's stance in the situation will play a huge role when it's revealed that he is, in fact, a Targaryen. He will be able to use the situation to say, hey, I didn't judge you for your father's or former leader's decisions, so please do the same for me. <laughs> then again, it could be seen as pretty self-serving. Uh, you know, who's to say John doesn't know? That's yeah, that's right? a good point. Like if I'm if I'm great, if I'm Lil John Umber, <laughs> and I'm I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, John's a Targaryen. What? <laughs> right? No, I'm serious. Uh, He's a Targaryen. What? I'm I'm thinking. When did John find this out, and why was he so keen on not punishing these people? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, it's going to be 
I wonder because you're right. I never thought that the angle of the Northmen might feel betrayed. That like what you know? Oh yeah, you just found out you're a secret Targaryen, right? Sure, really, he did, buddy. Ned never. He kept you hidden in Winterfell this whole time. He never mentioned yeah. that. And like, what if Littlefinger steps up for the good of Sansa and says, "No, he knew. Yeah, he knew." And then John takes him down and starts choking him. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I that that's that's a that's a good angle. Or maybe little maybe Littlefinger brings this up. To win Sansa over, he tries to undermine John, right? Which I don't think would work. But well, and there's that one quote in the one of the preseason trailers where Sansa says that you know the lone wolf, and, and when winter comes, the lone wolf freezes or starves, and yeah. the pack survives. I wonder because because one of the things I've mentioned in the preview podcast is if that's her talking about solidarity among the Starks children. Stark children, that's that's really badass and cool. Mm-hmm. But if she's using that as an excuse to like isolate John out of the inner circle of trust, like she's talking to Bran and Arya, which is you know oh that that assumes that there's a reunion and it's like, look, we're the pack. He's the he's lone wolf. He's always been yeah. a lone wolf. He's not even part of our family. Like it can it can be read two ways depending on the context. Yeah. And there's already a lot of people, you know, speculating that maybe Sansa's got a, a, another heel turn left in her. Or she's going to do something dumb, or she's going to do something that betrays John because she's learned too much from Cersei and Littlefinger. Yeah, Who knows? Maybe I'm just looking for Littlefinger's pivot, and that could be it. Uh, April from San Francisco. I have questions about Brienne. One, will she fight with John beyond the Wall? Two, will she become a true knight? And three, what's her purpose now that Sansa's is back in Winterfell? For Brienne's arc, even more than ending up with Jamie, I feel like she needs to become a proper knight. She's there with John, King of the North, so that should be no problem. But lest we forget, the North doesn't do knightship. Now that's subtle point. But that's actually not true. The, hmm. the the so knight knighthood is an andal. That's the 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 race the the culture and race of men that came after the first men. Yep. That's and then they brought the faith of seven, and the knighthood is all bound up in that religion. It's like a warrior kind of you know religious role. Um, but the knight the 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 north the north does have knights. They sometimes allow themselves to be knighted. It's just not seen as as big of a deal as it is down south. As I understand it, the culture of the north is closer to like the free folk culture is yeah right? i mean they're 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 closer to the first men and the way they yeah. you know they're they they've they hold the old gods and but but still you like eve uh ned's um master at arms was sir roderick mm-hmm. he got uh, he became an anointed knight somehow and is one of the most respected warriors in the north so yeah it's not that it never happens it's just it's it's a little it's a little rarer because they don't they don't seek it yeah and uh, like i don't i but, guess i don't view brienne's natural natural progression toward knighthood as important for her like yeah she's kind of doing the thing that's already in my mind important which is being the the servant of sansa like cat wanted right like she's doing the the honor bound thing but do you think you're right like you know it's always one of her one of the whole points of her story is that she embodies the ideals of a knight yeah. Even though she can, she's ne- she's not that that path has been blocked to her so far since she's a woman, uh, much more than yeah. any other knight that we're kind of familiar with, other than maybe um, you know Sir Barristan or yeah, sure. uh, guys like that. Um, but I wonder, I wonder, what does she want? Right, that's what like, I'm saying. That's like, the question. Would would it feel like like because you know you could easily say the cowardly lion didn't need a heart at the end, uh huh. But he still wanted it. He still wanted sure. that little heart medal to get. That's fulfilling you know. for him. Yeah. So yeah. it might be fulfilling for Brand to become an actual knight. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. So that, but she feels, uh, you know, April here feels like that's got to happen, and mm-hmm. I, I, 
I don't know. Um, if she's alive, I guess she would be a knight because why wouldn't she be? Yeah, I'm seeing this big throne room ceremony. Like, well, Star that's the Wars thing. Style. Like, how much of this? This is she going to be the Chewbacca and just gets boned in the whole award? You know, Chewbacca sitting there like, what the fuck? I don't get a medal. <laughs> right. What kind of bullshit anti Wookiee agenda you got going on, Leia? She's gonna be wearing a big bearskin suit, her <laughs> armor. Uh no that hmm. I, I wonder how much of the tradition, if you know, this idea of Danny coming in and breaking the wheel uh-huh. uh is gonna be a thing. I wonder how much of that tradition is even gonna be left, you know? That's true. Like, will there be a knighthood to even give her? Right. At since the end of this since thing? everyone kind of agrees that the knights aren't worth anything. You know? Like <laughs> Do they? Well, I mean, it just seems like that's that seems to be the common view that you know the what everyone perceives as a knight and what your average knight actually is and actually does. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, like the mountain is right. an anointed knight. Mm-hmm. What the hell does that even mean? Marin Trant. He's, he's he sworn to protect the innocent and 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 the weak, and but he's the biggest raper reaver there is. So yeah. Uh, she continues. April does. Will she go north of the wall and be one of John's twelve? Um, which this is getting into a little bit uh, Azora High prophecy that we're going to get to in, in an email down the line. Okay. Uh, she should as she's an excellent fighter and she has a Valerian steel sword, especially given John's feminist speech in this episode. Many pixels have been spilled on the identity of the 12 companions with John, but I haven't heard much on whether she is one of them. She's always being touted for excellence in battle and given the equal rights speech, it could happen, but Sansa might want to keep her close as well as mm-hmm. though she was Sansa's very own mountain. Which I suppose ties huh. in the last question. Is Sansa going to call all the shots with Brienne? That's a good question. At what point does Brienne start deciding what's best for her to do again? Right. She's argu- I mean, she's, she's already been told her mission is complete. Right. She's fulfilled her oath. She's and, kept her oath. She kind of almost feels like she's idling at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I could see her going north. I could see her. As long as Littlefinger's around, I feel like she's still in danger. So I'm glad Brienne's Sounds around, is, but yeah. if when whenever Littlefinger gets disposed of, whether he goes back to King's Landing, whether John ch- chokes him to death in the crypts of Winterfell, mm-hmm. um, I guess I would be more comfortable with Brienne than doing her own thing. Yeah, I'm with you. I also is is Brienne the type of person who would put one girl's life above the entire realm? Because once she find if she starts believing in this, you know, the long night come again stuff. Like, I feel like she'll see it as her duty to go and do something, but, but we, she's sworn to do the other thing. Of, like of I, all, we, we see a lot of people up North adventuring. We see Beric, we see Thoros, yeah. we see the hound that I'm talking about in the preseason trailers. I don't remember seeing Brian right in that group. Now that could just be cause the, you know, they, they're, they're, they're saving a surprise in reserve. Could be, I mean, it'd be a shitty trailer if it was seven hours long and showed the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to Adam P. Um, I wanted to register my thoughts on Jon Snow and the Sansa plotline, particularly based on the next time preview. Firstly, I think Sansa's dual approach is very, very deliberate, publicly undermining Jon in a way that isn't aggressive but nonetheless noticeable, whilst really? privately reassuring Jon of her love and support for him. Really? Wow, the motives of scribing you're ascribing to Sansa here. I mean... Wow. She's kind of a Blake slate in that. Like, so cause he says it's re- reminiscent of how Baelish played Ned Stark in season one. Right. And I guess if you look at the first few episodes of of Ned and, and Littlefinger, mm-hmm. you're right. It's not like, you know, I, I remember thinking, like, maybe he's dumb to trust him. But there was something that Peter did in the first season that I'm like, okay, well, maybe he's true. Oh, I found out he used to love Cat and... I didn't, you know, like that. He, uh-huh. He's these true blue, and he protected Cat and smuggled her into city. 
and then he pulled a knife. So I'm I'm as dumb as Ned Stark. Um, <laughs> but I, I can see where he's going here. Uh, he says I thought her direct reference to Ned and Rob was too on the nose, as though she's teasing John. Like Littlefinger, she's been savaged by savaged by the world and has seen good men and women don't win. Did you have to be smart rather than honest to survive and thrive? Now I don't. I did not get a little. I didn't get any of her teasing with the reference to Ned and Rob. I thought that was maybe it's because I agree with the thought. The thought that the Stark men have tended to be mm-hmm. um, people don't like it when I call them dumb, too honorable for their own good, naive, naive. That's a good word. Like they think yeah. that everyone is as honorable and that their honor means as much as to them, and they don't understand that when you're dealing with the likes of Littlefinger and Cersei and Varys that you have to keep your cards closer to your vest because even if you won't cheat playing cards, they sure as fuck will. Right. So naive is the word I'll try to use to describe the the uh, the, the Stark men's attempting to wield power in the future. This is where the line from the Northerners in Episode 2 preview about hating the Targaryens comes into play. Obviously prompted by the dual news of Danny arriving on Dragonstone and Sam's raven about the Dragonglass stockpile there, John will propose an alliance in order to mine the resources. The vitriolic response will prompt Littlefinger to reveal the true parentage of John which I'm pretty sure Littlefinger knows. My only question is, who is he going to tell? Sansa would be obvious, as he clearly wants her to undermine John. John would be more interesting, as he would then effectively have something to blackmail him over. Um, and also, that would explain why John is choking him down in the the crypts. Yeah, Littlefinger's like, I know you're a Targaryen. I'm going to tell everybody. Right. Uh, what do you think of that? Uh, I mean, it's speculation. I don't, I don't ascribe the motives to Sansa that you apparently do, emailer, because. I don't think she's actively trying to undermine John. I think she's trying to do the thing she thinks is right, and she's doing it in the way that Sansa would do it, which is not with a lot of experience. And so she, right. you know, in that moment, she doesn't understand that by, you know, calling John out and stating her opinion on the fact publicly that she's actually undermining him. She's she's just doing what she thinks is right, and I, I can't really fault her too much for that. But I I don't think she's trying to play John. Yeah, and that's my, not how I read it. My bias is I don't, I, I, my, my personal preference would be for this point in the story that Sansa takes a real leadership role, and I don't see her tearing down or John as a role of a leader when John obviously has a, a right. vital, if not central, role in the the war to come. Uh, so that's the thing. The people. I, I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, and I, that I'd even be disappointed. I'm just saying I'm hoping. Yeah. That Sansa, you know, has a, you know, like not not a redemptive arc. She doesn't need to be a redemptive, but an empowering arc. Right. Yeah, because I, what she doesn't, well, maybe she realizes it. I don't know. But what you have to think about is the loyalties and where yeah. they lie. Because these people aren't loyal to Sansa. Right. These people are loyal to John because of the acts he's performed, regardless of who he is. Right. It's not that they're loyal to the Starks at this point. They're loyal to John. So. Right. If she undermines him, she risks losing the entire force of the North. Right. And what good does that do anyone, herself included? Yeah. I mean, now, I don't know if she'll realize that, like you said. Who knows? But I mean, that's hopefully. the thing. Like, I don't. So that's an interesting question because, like, I, I think that the men have a little bit more loyalty towards the Sansa than you because there's a scene in the book where there's uh, oh. <laughs> uh, one of the, 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 the hill tribes that are friendly to the Ned Stark and they're marching to the war in Winterfell and it's. Uh, and there's this old guy, and he's like, look, I'm probably not going to survive this winter. Uh, if I can go out bathed in Bolton blood to save Ned's little girl, then uh-huh. I, that's that's the way I want to go out. And I can, <laughs> I feel like that's – if you ask the sentiment of the North of how they feel about Sansa Stark, I think they, they like her a lot. Now, 
if they had to choose if there was a schism, like did they choose the bastard that led them to victory uh, in, right. in, in the Battle of the Bastards, or did they choose Sansa, who had more than a little bit to do with that victory? Yeah. That's interesting. And then if you ask, like, what happens if they find out that John's a Targaryen that they are instinctively distrustful of? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like I said, I hope, that San- I hope that Sansa and John don't fight. Yeah. Uh, Joe Q. seems you guys have often considered the war in the north and the war in the south to be two plot lines completely divorced from each other. Mm-hmm. A lot of speculation around the remaining two seasons has predicted that this season will be the defeat of Cersei and next season will be about the final battle with the Night King. I'm going to say something crazy. Cersei and the Night King are going to join forces. Oh, Jesus. I know this sounds insane, but let me offer an even more bonkers idea. There's already whites, if not a white walker, in King's Landing. The mountain. <laughs> I got to get, be- get better at the horn is what I got to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's what I'm proposing. Sam wasn't the first one at the Citadel to take the White Walkers seriously. What if Kyburn has studied the myths and legends and tried to recreate White Walkers on his own? Oh, he didn't God. revive the mountain, who- but he built his own makeshift White Walker. Yeah. This bonkers theory also brings up the possibility that Cersei doesn't even peacefully align herself with the White Walkers, but controls them in the way, same way she controls the mountain. Hmm. Um. So what's really interesting is there's an article that came out this week uh, with Time Magazine interviewing George Martin, and he talks a lot about the books and and what he was thinking about it. And I want to read this excerpt. This is George Martin speaking. He says, It's always bothered me that Gandalf comes back from the dead. The Red Wedding for me in the Lord of the Rings is the Mines of Moria, and when Gandalf falls, it's a devastating moment. I didn't see him coming at 13 years old when I read it. It just totally took me by surprise. Um, and then in the next book, he shows up again, and now he's Gandalf the White. And eh, he's more or less the same as always, except he's even more powerful. Mm-hmm. I always felt a little bit like a cheat to me. It seems to me that death doesn't make you more powerful, especially if you suffer a violent, traumatic death. They're going not going to come back as nice as ever. That's what I was trying to do, and I'm still trying to do with the Lady Stoneheart character. The Times Magazine reporter says, and Jon Snow, too, is drained by the experience of coming back from the dead on the show, and then mm. George says, right, and then poor Beric Dondarrion, who is set up as the foreshadowing of all this, every time he's a little less Beric. His memories are fading, he's got all these scars, he's becoming more and more physically hideous because he's not a living human being. His heart isn't beating, his blood isn't flowing in his veins, he's a white, but a white animated by fire instead of by ice, which now mm. we're getting back to the whole ice and fire thing. Yeah. My head kind of blew up when I read this because... He's dr- making a direct connection between both of these magics. You've got the whites up north that are right. animated by this ice magic, and you've got the Lord of the Light kind of style whites like John mm-hmm. and Beric and Lady Stoneheart that are that are animated by fire. Yeah. Um, which kind of like there's also like one of the things I've been debating is whether there's this duality to the religion of Westeros, whether you know you've got like a good god and an evil god, or or they different sides of the same coin and like your lord of the light does a lot of sacrificing and the others have a lot of like you know blood magic and they sacrifice babies to make their like i just thought that was a really interesting concept Mm -hmm. the fact that um it does seem that the mountain might be uh one of these kind of white styles and and the joe q's uh email had me think in those directions yeah i guess it would be sort of in opposition to the the whites as we know them, right? The, right. the ice whites, right? If you want to call them that. Um, I don't think, I don't. It's interesting that you you say that he, uh, the Kyburn, kind of trained under this master uh, Marwin, yeah, because this Archmaster Marwin, because 
then you could see, okay, maybe he learned something about the the ice magic, the children of the forest, and how they created them. Right. And I, I could start to see that. But when you have George Martin saying he's the fire version of this, then that's where it confuses. The oh, issue he, he for didn't me. say that the he didn't say that the mountain was the the fire version. It said animated by the fire. Yeah. Well, but he was talking about uh, Beric Dondarrion. I thought he was talking about all of them. Uh, well, that's maybe my speculation. That like as I, so I'm saying anything anyone is brought back from the dead must be. Like, like, I guess I'm, uh, I was, before hmm. this interview, I was kind of open to the idea that there might be many ways to bring back someone from the dead. Okay. Also, um, is Dan, like, that's other, I guess another thing that you could consider about Danny. Like, maybe Danny did perish in a fire, but also was somehow brought back by the fire magic. She's not hmm. fireproof. Literally. Now in the show, obviously, yeah, yeah. they've decided to make her fireproof. But I wonder if that was something when George was saying, no, 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 this is a one-time magical event, that there was something more to that, that, that literally changed like maybe danny did hmm. die and she she changed in a, in a more important way than than we than the, the we know could be although she doesn't seem like a white in any other way of course neither no. is john that's the thing when people say oh it drained john i'm like what the fuck yeah. show me the representation of that on the screen because i can't tell man that that could be another one of these simplifications that the show's doing that the books will do- dwell more d- dwell more on right. the torment like, of john or maybe john's special that he doesn't apply to him because he's the blending of ice and fire, like who who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I'm interested to see what kind of theory crafting comes out of this interview with the Time Magazine because there's a lot of new exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike C. All this time, we as readers and viewers keep asking how the Night King will tear down the wall, yet we ignore the fact that there's a land bridge on the western edge of the wall. It's called the Bridge of Skulls, and wildlings have used it to sneak south of the wall for thousands of years without climbing. While it's not flush against the sea, as is the wall by the East Watch by the sea, it's near the mountains, and the western tip of the wall stops at a gorge that flows into the sea. The Shadow Tower could serve as the castle in the Hound's vision. The Hound has a vision of a mountain that looks like an arrowhead. Maybe this is actually a giant white in his vision, or something that's not part of the landscape, but mountains are in the west, not the east. I'm also skeptical that John and the Brotherhood seem confident that the Night King is marching on East Watch. I think we're being misled by the writers. Your thoughts? Hmm. I don't know how I feel about the writers misleading us this much. Yeah. Like, you've got John saying, here's hard home, and if you look on the map, the next lot, like, if they just keep marching on the edge, they would have to literally go all the way across country to the other side. And, you know, that's where I guess the jetpacking starts to come in. Mm -hmm. Because that's, you know, like, I don't know exactly how long it takes, but John would. Yeah. And if they're at this East, if, if, if Tormund gets up at East watch and there's no whites and there's no whites as he's just going to be like, Oh, we're still waiting. Or I, 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 we, I, I think that the writers have to give us a little bit more information that maybe something is afoot before I would buy it because otherwise, you know, they're, they're just feeding us just deliberate misinformation with no ability to tell. Yeah. I, I'm mostly with you there. I think the one thing, that I would add to it is John is making an assumption here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of characters have made a lot of assumptions. Uh, famously, Ned made mm-hmm. some assumptions about loyalty um, and got his head chopped for it. So it it could just be that John makes the wrong assumption about where the White Walkers are headed. And that, because that's the thing about the wall, right? Like you go castle to castle on the wall here and you can't really see what's going on at the other castles, right? They're pretty right. far apart. So you head to East Watch and you say, well, there's nobody here yet, but how long do you wait? And by that time, could they have skipped one castle? And now they're at the the second castle closest, and mm-hmm. now they're busting through the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
maybe, but I, I'm with you. I think if they're going to do that, they need to kind of do some some sort of build up that tells us, hey, the the walkers aren't headed to the place we think or that John thinks they're headed. Because that's the other thing to consider, and this is just a medicans conversation, is there's a very small army that can do something to oppose these the the forces. And right. If they completely outflank flank them a half a country away, uh-huh. like that's game. Like that's like ju- there's not enough room for a margin for error for that to happen. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, uh, it's really hard to foresee where they're going for with some of this stuff, but... Um, well, this I, other castle with the Hound, maybe the, you know, Barrack and the Hound and his crew are going to head up to another castle mm-hmm. um, on the wall where the walkers are headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe they could be the force, depending on, you know, how much power Barrack has with his flaming sword and all that stuff. But I don't know. All yeah. right. Uh, Sarah H. Uh, I've been trying to think of a reason that any of the books uh, about the Long Night, White Walkers, or Dragon Glass would be in the restricted section at the library at the Citadel. When I thought of what the maester who was performing the autopsy said to Sam about them being the memory of the Seven Kingdoms, why would something like that need to be kept hidden when there are millions of other books not? Do you think it's possible that they know about the White Walkers and why they come? I have a theory mm-hmm. that the maesters are somehow complicit in their rising and know way more than they let on. Mm-hmm. Um... So it's the restricted section, but it's restricted to maesters. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's forbidden knowledge, like only the archmaester can see it. It's more like these are texts that, for whatever reason, we don't want the unwashed masses getting in there and getting their hands on. We don't want the, the guy cleaning out the chamber pots <laughs> right. to get his hands on all the info yet. It could be that these are rare texts from old Valeria that like they literally don't have copies of, and they're just that much more afraid of them being stolen. Because yeah. it doesn't also doesn't seem like the security is exactly state-of-the-art. No. Like you palm a set of keys and you're in. Mm-hmm. So, um, but on the other hand, uh, there is some there's is some solid theory crafting that the maesters have been on a centuries long effort to stamp out things that cannot be explained by secular science, like that they are be they are, they plotted to uh, stifle the dragons and kill them off, that they've suppressed research into mysticism, and they've dis- even though that they if they're the member of the world, they should know that some of this stuff is real. They've suppressed that knowledge and the teaching of it and the learning of it and the passing it on. So hmm. you might be onto something there. It's just I don't, you know, and as far as them being complicit to the rising of it, like the White Walkers, last time the White Walkers, I think sometimes I think that people watching the show don't appreciate that this isn't like every hundred years kind of thing. Like the last time the White Walkers walked was thousands and thousands of years ago. Yeah. Before, you know, the the the, the Citadel was even formed. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they now are they in league with them now? I don't know. I don't but I don't know how cuz I, I don't think the maesters are evil. I mm-hmm. think they're just trying to do what's right by you know the realm. Like I think that they think suppressing the superstition and this unnatural shit is the way for mankind to move forward. I I think if they were in league with the white walkers that would be a little bit overstepping their bounds. Like yeah. what do they get? Like what? What do they get out of that? When Westeros is conquered by the frozen demons, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like do they want to take over Westeros? Do they want to rule? I mean, they they already kind of do. Like they have right. They have trusted advisors in every major castle and every major lordship and the king. And they're all, I mean, they they kind of are the the power behind <laughs> yeah. the power already. They're sort of the Catholic Church of Westeros without <laughs> yeah. the the spiritual side, right? Yeah. 
They're like the, you know, the Republican National Committee and Democratic National Committee together. They're just like the right. ones pulling the strings in the background. So I, I don't know. I don't know about them being complicit. And I don't I don't see it as suspicious, I guess, as you do that they, you know, when in a country where the vast majority of people can't read mm-hmm. um, that they keep this. There's a special section of library where the really valuable, weird stuff they keep to themselves. I don't know. Uh, Rob H. I just had a thought. Could it be that the priceless gift Euron secures for Cersei is a dragon's head? Or what if some sort of mm. sea monster, since this is her house crest that could kill one of the dragons? Doesn't he have some sort of horn that we don't know about the use of yet? Yeah, so talk, I, I brought up the horn. There's, so there's this, this horn in the book's dragon binder that Euron claims he got in his travels uh, into Old Valeria that um, he has one of his men blow it, and it makes this uh, Aaron Dampere, who's the high priest of... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's his name? Aaron Dampere. Dampere. And a lot of people think it's actually Damp- Damphir, uh-huh. but it's actually Dampere. Think about it. <laughs> think about it. Um <laughs> But anyway, they uh, he he blow the, the, outstanding. He, he describes he's the he's the younger brother of Balon Greyjoy, who became the priest of the Drowned God, mm-hmm. uh, the high priest of the Drowned God. He describes it as the sound of, the, of a horn from hell, and as the guy blows it, the the horn starts glowing red, and you can see these old Valerian runes start glowing oh, on shit. it. And Euron says that this is some way to like magically bind dragons to your will, and he's going to mm-hmm. use it to. Uh, tame Danny's dragons and force her to marry him. Um, but none of this shit is in the, the show at all. Right, right. And my question is, with 12 episodes to go, I use you as my barometer of the guy who's like not a big fantasy person, who likes the stories. That, well, how would you feel about a magic dragon-controlling horn coming up on the 11th hour of the show? Well, here's the thing. How do I feel about a guy who walks into a throne room looking to make a deal and doesn't bring the fucking dealmaker with him? Mm. Like, right? You, where are you keeping this thing? Is it in the safe deposit box at Chase? You're like, right. That would have been the perfect opportunity right. to get the horn out, and because you could introduce not all it. be back once I get my magic horn. Right? No, bring the horn with you, man. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think so. I don't think that's going to be a part of it. I don't like you said. I don't think there's enough time, and I think if they were going to introduce it, now's the time, and they didn't. Yeah. Because every in every episode that goes by, it's like you know, it's like if you're still ho- looking for Lady Stoneheart, you're still going to be looking for Lady Stoneheart in the fifth episode of season eight. What if he thinks he <laughs> can know? actually bring her a dragon? Like he's got this horn in his back pocket, he's going to bring her an actual dragon. Screw I mean, just the horn. Like I said, how does he prove I, I think it, it's but... just possible to introduce this horn and not have people rolling their eyes and slapping their foreheads. But it, boy, it's it's you're you're really getting shaky on the tightrope. Another you couple are, episodes, yeah. and because because I've always said that the more magical things they introduce that have yet to be explained, mm-hmm. the harder it's going to be for people to swallow and to be engaged in the story. Because if anything can happen, then what the hell? Like yeah. why why speculate about anything if some de- Deus Ex Machina? Yep. Hornus X Machina is going to come out and you know control a dragon that you, you didn't know that was possible. Right. Like what the hell? Need some time to set it up. So, Michael C, do you know or do you think that the show is roughly in dream of spring territory or are we still sort of loosely in what might be covered by the winds of winter or does even or does any of what George intends even matter at this point? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Um I feel like we're probably still in the winds of winter territory because 
I mean, we just got done with the Battle of the Bastards. That happened late last season, and that feels like that's going to be one of the first things that happens in wins. So I would say that we're probably... But the, the problem is... Um, what's going to be, the, I guess, the climax? But the also the one of the things like, in the last few books that George put out is there's not really a, a climax. I guess John mm. getting stabbed to death is a is a cliffhanger climax. Pretty, it's a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, but you know, there it hasn't like built into some something. They're 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 just like you're you're in the middle of the middle of the story. So it's going to be real hard to say like, oh, maybe in retrospect you can be like, oh, well, that's the end of Winds, and here's the dream of spring. Um. But even the the books of that seem more like that's something that George came up with. But a whole book about the dream of spring that seems like a that's a very hopeful thing. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's referring to how the 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 book ends. I don't know. <laughs> it's impossible to yeah. tell. It's impossible to tell. Now the other thing is I know that the double D's have talked about. There's these few bullet points that were jaw dropping when they read them, mm-hmm. and like one of them was the death of Hodor. And so there's a couple points that we know that they're going to try to hit exactly as George gave them to him. But those are fewer and far between at this point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there's that's that's what I think. Um, it's going to be hard to tell when you actually get, you know, stop becoming wins and it becomes a dream. I guess when my, my gut would say that when we dispense with whatever the battle between the mortal people for realms of men and we actually join the battle against others that that will be definitively dream of spring territory mm-hmm. um kevin b do you think we'll see a dragon die under the right circumstances north of the wall where a dragon will become a white controlled by the North night king we've seen enough non-human whites that it seems possible unless the dragon's internal heat or fire make it impossible i for one am hoping this happens yeah i i don't see necessarily why it couldn't happen yeah, and there's been a whole lot of like speculation about ice dragons. Yeah, uh, you know that that that's there is a semi canon reference of those in like a children's book that 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 George wrote a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's been some references to those in like maybe some of the tales of the old Nan. Uh, there's been a lot of like weird tinfoil theories about an ice dragon being buried in the wall or an ice dragon being buried underneath Winterfell. Um, there was a sick fan-made poster of the 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 Night King riding an ice dragon that, <laughs> that people were trying to pawn off as an official HBO thing that turned out to be not. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it would be cool, and it would be it'd be a way to... Because, like, I guess the way I see it now is the White's main weakness is fire, and we've got an army armed with dragons. Yeah. So, like, you just, just like a single lantern can light one of these guys up. A torch can light one of these guys up like crazy. Like, what would a dragon, like, what would a, a, a dragon from something the size of Drogon do? Right. And if they neutralize that with a dragon of their own, that would, that would kind of, I think it would really put the audience back on their heels. Like, oh shit, now what? Yeah. But, and uh, it would be pretty fucking awesome to see a dragon battle, like a skybound right. dragon battle. And you think about the White Walkers who've been around for thousands and thousands of years. Like they might, may, maybe they have a long dead dragon. They don't need one of Danny's. Maybe yeah. they're just going to have their own ice dragons. Could be. So one of those things where it's like just like the horn. If you if you pounce that on people too late in the game, it's going to still seem like, well, what the hell? Yeah. You know, um, like the, like I keep thinking like when the eagles saved the day at the end of Lord of the Rings. Imagine if you had never seen those eagles before. If they uh-huh. hadn't. They hadn't. You know, rescued Gandalf. If they hadn't been established in the Hobbit. Like if they just like, oh shit, we have giant eagles that can destroy the 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 fell beasts that the Nazgul ride. Like what? <laughs> what the hell? 
you gotta have you gotta at least hint that you got him before you 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 break him out on the battlefield. Yep. Uh, David C. I wasn't sure whether the dragon glass candles have been mentioned in the show so far. They have not. But if you read the text on the page opposite of the page of the cat's paw dagger, uh, so he's talking about the, the Valerian book, book that Sam's through. going yep. through. It talks about dragon glass candles being lit with magic and allowing the user to see across mountains, seas, and deserts, and also to speak to each other. What? Do you think glass candles will be making an appearance this season, or is it just another nod to the readers? This is you're hmm. going to you're going to have a theme to my responses, but I feel like again at this stage in the game, introducing like a palantir style mystical way to communicate over vast distances will feel a bit like a cheat. Maybe. I mean, they've done enough to establish dragon glass as a thing. Mm-hmm. If Sam can discover like more of its properties, yeah, I, I might, I might be okay. with. They, it. they have, it's not the, the fact that you've got this, this obsidian material that's got a mystical connection to dragons and it can be fashioned in other ways. You're right. That's more of a, here is something we've already introduced as a building block, and here's another way it can be configured together. Just like if, you know, it turns out to have the magical healing properties for Grayscale. Right. Like, I could be okay with it because I know dragon glass is kind of mysterious, but it's a thing already. Right. So maybe Sam could learn more about it. Yeah, I mean, one of my the things I thought, the one of the roles I've always thought was the brand could plausibly play would be like a coordinator. Right. Because he can use the weirwood to communicate through dreams or maybe through visions and like help coordinate the the you know disparate forces of men mm-hmm. and if they have a candle where they can just you know keep in touch that way what do they need brand for right but <laughs> yeah. if they if but then you know maybe they got other bigger uses for brand and this is going to be a way to but they already have they also have ravens like why wouldn't ravens work right they're freeze to death <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> maybe, too slow yeah. like you have to have instant the ice dragons keep eating them <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Um. All right. So, I, like I said, I um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it definitely could be a nod to the book readers because we're the ones that we freeze framing these pictures and 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 pouring over them. So, yeah. Uh, Connor F. What if the reason the Hound is able to see the visions in the flame isn't just due to some shred of potential belief in this red god? Melisandre once said that death by fire is a pure death. But what happens? Uh, but what about what happens to Sandor Clegane as a pup? What if that horrific moment in his life where Gregor forced his head down into the flames was a faded baptism by fire, and now with all the transformation the Hound has undergone, as well as the new lease on life, what if now we can finally have a better grasp on the Red God? That's an interesting theory. What do you think of it? I mean, what's the theory there? That that So that Sandor's connection to fire, even though he's afraid of it, he's been mm-hmm. literally baptized in the fire because his, his brother held his face into a brazier and it half melted off. Mm-hmm. And that connection of fire is what allows them to, to, to see the messages in the flames. Oh, oh, okay. Because the other way to look at this is, I believe huh. Melisandre guided Stannis to see things in the flames too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's it's not like Sandor was just out camping alone and he started, the Red God started speaking to him. He had a priest of the Red God yeah. guide him on this, you know, vision. So... Yeah, um, something I... I thought about, I was thinking about it a little bit after the podcast we recorded on Tuesday. Um, I, I wonder if it wasn't Thoros just kind of showing him things. Now, mm-hmm. Beric looked pretty surprised by it, but Thoros no. did not. So I, I, I just wonder if Thoros is showing him things or if he's seeing things because he's chosen by the Red God or special somehow or right. whatever. I, I don't know. Plus I mean, the, the baptism that- by fire thing... He has a connection to fire, certainly. Right. 
but it's a little more dubious than like being a Targaryen. And, uh, yeah, and it also might just be thematic, you know, that he's he's yeah. conquered his fear, and that you know the fact the thing that he's been afraid of the whole, his whole life is now the thing that he kind of unites under the banner of. Like, mm-hmm. uh, although I guess he wouldn't use a banner since it's the brother of that banner is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, traitor. But, yeah, but I I. I I don't know. I, I, I like it, but I also don't think it's strictly necessary now that I thought about it because he did have uh, – the other odd thing is that um, Melisandre is obviously manipulating uh, Stannis, or at least the Red God is manipulating her, and they were seeing things that weren't strictly true. Right. And we also know that both Melisandre and Thoros have have confessed to using tricks and parlor magic to kind of you know pull off their priestly duties – um, before the Red God started no shit working. Mm-hmm. So there's also the idea that maybe they're trying to manipulate Sandor to some end. I don't think so because I feel like that, you know, Thoros and and uh, Beric and those, those, they are good guys. Mm-hmm. But that's another possibility. Before we get any further, today's sponsor is Audible. And Audible's been with the podcast for a long, long time. I think they might be the first, if not one I of the first so. sponsors. So yeah. we owe them, owe them a lot. And you can get a free audio book. With a 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com slash GOT. That's an exclusive code for listeners of uh, our podcast. Um, and uh, I got a clear recommendation for you because I, I've been a longtime uh, Audible member. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire library of George R. R. Martin is on Audible, and it's a great way to re-experience it. Or if you're one of those adventuresome book f- uh, show-watching fans that haven't gotten to the books, because I know so that's a lot of commitment, Um What's awesome about Audible is it allows you to use your time more wisely. If you've got a long commute, obviously, you've got something that you're trying to avoid doing because you're a podcast fan. You're trying to avoid a commute. You're trying to avoid boring chores. You're trying to avoid time stuck in your own head. Don't need any of that nonsense. You can get the entire Song of Ice and Fire series read to you by Roy Deutris, who is an award-winning audiobook narrator. Uh, he's fantastic. Uh, yes, yeah. His one flaw is he's a little slow for me, but you know what's cool about the Audible app that's available for every smartphone in his existence? You can control the playback speed. Like, yeah. I like to get Ray step into about 1.1, 1.15, and huh. uh, right. it, it really gets a sense of urgency into him. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing. Like These books are pretty long, so you know if you want to check out, you, you get a book every month. You get a credit for mm-hmm. a book every month, so... When they're at 34 hours, it's going to be about a month before you get through it, probably. Right. So every month, you got a new book, Game of Thrones book where they're waiting for you. And when I was doing the Game of Thrones series, like I, I prefer to read on my Kindle. But what's yeah. awesome is with the Audible uh, supporting the WhisperSync technology, I could go to bed at night, read until my eyes crossed, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, plug my phone into my car for my commute, and yeah. Roy's there reading right where I left off. And it just keeps on going. It's a, it's a great way to rapidly infuse the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great company. Again, you can get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com slash GOT. Uh, Daniel has a question for me. Can you actually tell me where the prince that was promised or the Azora High Legend even exists? I've read the books as well, and though my memory is hazy in the details, I don't actually remember that it exists anywhere concrete. In other words, I know it's referred to in the book what it is that's being referred to. It seems to me that some of the characters in the book, and by extension the fans themselves, have been sloppy and conflated several things that don't necessarily fit together or exist at all. Hmm. There was Azora High, the historical character, but where does this notion come from that he's destined to return? And similarly, where does the legend of the so-called prince that was promised actually come from? And assuming both of the previous questions have an answer, what is the justification for conflating the two legends? 
I don't have great answers for you because there these these prophecies are all kind of lumped together. You're right, and like you're also leaving out the last hero legend, which is more of a northern legend about the one of the first men. He sets off with twelve companions. Uh, to try to find the children of the forest during the long... We're talking about a, a winter that's lasted a generation. And they, they try to go to find the children of the forest to offer an alliance with them to beat back the, the dawn. And, and the last hero, you know, j- you know, fitting to his name, loses all of his 12 companions along the way, finally meets up the children of the forest, forges a pact with them, and they together somehow beat back the White Walkers and banish them to the lands of Always Winter. So there's one... There's also the prince that was promised, which, as far as I can tell, is something that Rhaegar Targaryen, because he he loved literature and reading, uh, discovered himself at reading in, in, in the Targaryen libraries. Hmm. And he came out one day from the library saying, apparently I have to be a warrior to fulfill this prophecy, and then started studying martial skills. Um, and became obsessed with fulfilling the prince that was the, the, the promised. So that's like some kind of old Valerian legend. And then Azor High is something that comes out from the, you know, that's something the priests of R'hllor push, and they're from kind of the lands of Ashai. Um, but I think what they're getting at is this idea of the shared mythology, like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, the people that think about theologian history, they notice that lots of cultures worldwide have like this monomyth about the flood yeah and you can say that's because literally six thousand some years ago there was a flood mm-hmm. and you know noah and his family saved and then that 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 story spread across the whole the whole earth um when when those those families you know migrated around or you could say like at some point when mankind like like eons in mankind's history there was a localized flood back in mesopotamia or in africa that was so impactful and so destructive that it became woven to like an on all of our all of our mythical memories right. so you've got you know the what is it the the voyage of um ah shit i, I man i've yeah, so so it's not what I'm what I'm getting at. Is there's the Noah's Ark story, and then there's like the Epic of Gilgamesh that talks about this. It's 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 it's, uh, it's a lot the same. And there's there's a, like a, an, a there's an Asian influence one. There's there's these these stories all over the globe mm-hmm. because it's this cataclysmic event. And what I think George is hinting at is if the Long Night actually happened, there's something like the Long, like what the Archmaster was saying. Like I believe because there's so many of these unconnected myths that all tell the same story, that this is a true story, that something that actually happened in, in, in humans' ancient memory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're going for, that um, these are all separate myths from separate cultures, but they're talking about the one event, the long night that actually happened. Right. And it's also the reason I think a lot of people conf- conflate them is because even Melisandre will like refer to Azor Ahai and yeah. the prince that was promised kind of interchangeably herself. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe she understands it the same way you do, perhaps? P- possibly. Yeah. Or it could be George got a little sloppy, or it could be that sure. she's, she's relating the story to pe- the, the, in terms that people would be familiar with. Like, you know, there's lots of different reasons. But um, as far as where they come from, the Long Night seems like it's a first man myth. The Zora High seems like it's something from a shy, and the Prince was promised as some kind of um, Valerian deal. So, hmm. okay. Uh, moving on to Leslie L. Because the Iron Throne is made up of swords that Aegon took when he conquered the Seven Kingdoms, do you think it contains Valerian steel and will have to be melted down to create weapons to fight the Night's King? No. It's swords he took when he conquered the land? 
Yeah, so, they, so they wouldn't be Targaryen swords, right? Well, I mean, people had the because Valerian, you know, it's not Valerians like, are not Targaryens, sure. Yeah, well, the, the Targaryens are Valerians. They, they not are, Valerians but not. Are Targaryens, yeah, yeah, the other way. Um, and and you know, it it was not. People had uh, Valerian steel because there was trade over the narrow sea. Um, mm-hmm. They were rare and they're expensive, but um, they weren't unknown before Aegon came over. Now the Targaryens only had two ancestral Valerian steel blades, uh, mm-hmm. Blackfire and the Dark Dark Sister. Um, so I would think that if Aegon had, like, like if these these lords are laying their swords at his feet, he would be like, oh, well, that's a Valerian one. Yoink! I'm going to keep this. Like, why would he melt that down into the throne? Right. The other thing is Valerian steel looks differently. Like, it's got that mm-hmm. rippled Damascus-style steel kind of finish. So, like, okay. I, like it, people would be remarked, like, oh, look, there's the Valerian sword that's in the 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 iron throne um now let's get to theory crafting because we don't know how valerian steel is made um but there's a lot of popular theories that it's magical in nature and dragons are natural are um are are magical in nature and that we also have sources that say that the valerians use dragon fire in the construction of their palaces and stuff right that some people think that valerian steel could be just you know steel that's been treated with dragon fire Kissed by the dragon's fire. Yeah. In I, which case, maybe all the be. swords and the... But yeah. the, the thing is, is like it doesn't match the, the rippled effect. Like, I don't think a the dragon... The look of it? Yeah, I don't think a dragon can literally just melt steel and boom, it's Valerian. <laughs> okay. I don't subscribe, because there is a theory yeah. that's like, oh, they'll have to melt down the Iron Throne and make a shit ton of Valerian swords because it's all been kissed by dragon fire, as you said. I, I don't subscribe mm. to that theory. But it's a popular one. Yeah. Yeah. It has a certain appeal, right. I think. Um the idea that maybe Danny might break the wheel by melting the throne <laughs> right. that was melted to to make it, uh, and, and, it and be, turning them into swords—I don't know. It could be, cool. be true another way. Like it's not Valerian steel now, but they, you know, Danny will set like it will melt down oh, the Iron right. Throne and and do the correct process to make them all Valerian steel. But like, it's not like they're then a, you don't need the throne steel. Yeah, you got plenty of steel. Yeah, it's not <laughs> like there's a, a a shortage of steel in the land. No. Uh, so I, I just, I don't know. I never found those compelling, but those are, that's Mm. how I understand kind of the state of the, where the theory crafts are at. Uh, Doug L. While the show presents many different religions, the deity called R'hllor has made his presence known by actively participating in show events, be it raising the dead, birthing shadow babies, or revealing visions. There can be no doubt that some supernatural entity or entities has an agenda of some kind being implemented. Uh, so let's take that first. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think I do. Well, the only thing I would say is the entity part, which... Okay, which, that's fair. Force. Some, yes. Some power. I don't even know if I would call it a being. Yeah, that's know? the thing. Like, I, I hesitate to have the, to describe it having a will of its own, mm-hmm. but it, it certainly, certainly has an influence. It's certainly a, a force that can, be, that can be harnessed and used to do things that we can't understand. Yeah. Uh, with that minor quibble, Doug L. continues, So the question I pose to you is, how critical will it be that the characters and or viewers become fully aware of the true nature of the supernatural forces at work here? I suspect that this will be key to defeating the walkers, but it's also possible that the story will resolve without some of these mysteries being fully explored. To what extent do you think these questions need answering? Uh, I don't see a huge need for it, honestly. Like, if you can defeat the White Walkers through Dragonglass or Valyrian Steel or whatever by killing the heads and, you know, killing all the actual White Walkers themselves, um, you might not need to explain much of it at all. Yeah, I mean, like, how... 
vital is it to the great religions of the world that they understand the true nature of God? Because right. most religious scholars would say God is kind of ineffable. ineffable. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the, the 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 Western, you know, is the Judeo-Christian Islamic uh, tradition of God. So, sure. and they they function just fine with you know him being kind of uh, difficult to understand or his reasoning being above us. So I mm-hmm. I guess I don't understand. I don't know why that the mystical system or the gods or the you know who's the true god. Do we need to know that? Because again, this seems like a human story. It does that has all these trappings onto it. So like having that be some central mystery that has to be unraveled would then suddenly wrest control from the human human side to the mystical. Which I'm not saying that George might not do. I'm just saying that I don't think that's where he's getting getting at. So I and would I just say, don't see the scene where we zoom out from Planetos or whatever it's called, and and we get the like I am God scene, yeah. right? Like we're not going to get introduced to the power right. controlling everything. So right. I mean, short of that, I don't know how much more they need to do. I mean, we need to know the mechanical workings out of this. Stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Like we I, I to... want to know that when we defeat the White Walkers, they're gone. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to think, oh, winter's just coming back again in another thousand years or whatever. I'm fine with that. Like, if they think if so? they if they staved it off for another cycle, yeah. And then then this question yeah. is like, will it's they just, remember? Will or they we ever to forget this? Like, you yeah. know, um, that would be kind of cool. But I do think that you should understand that they've been defeated. To what extent they've been defeated and how they were defeated. Okay. Like that threat is is at bay for now. Right, right. At least. And yeah. it shouldn't be like some Deus Ex Machina kind of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, Emma D says, I was listening to your feedbacks podcast on Season 7, Episode 1, where you were contemplating what the point of finding a cure for Sir Jorah's grayscale would be. Yeah. And I thought you were missing an obvious possibility. Hmm. Perhaps a cure from grayscale will make it possible for either Danny or John's forces, or both together, to get past all the grayscaly people outside of Valeria and find the method for creating Valerian steel. Stashes of dragonglass were all the ancient records that were hmm. lost during the Doom of Valeria. It's possible that the Valerians were the force who originally defeated the White Walkers, and that is why they adorned their castles with dragon glass and created weapons such as Valerian steel that could defeat both humans and the undead. When Tyrion and Jorah passed by the Smoking Sea, they were attacked by people infected by Grayscale, so it's logical to conclude that the cure to the Grayscale may make it possible to get back and explore or exploit the ruins of Valeria. Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. The only reason I would say no is because, again, time. Like, you've got to cure Jorah, right. then you've got to get Jorah the Explorer to go and mount up an expedition, <laughs> yeah. find something of value, bring it back in time to win the day. And we've already found it, right? It's Dragonglass. It's Dragonglass. And we know where it is. We know how to get it. We know how to make it into weapons. Let's do that. But, you know, Valer- like, could you make Valerian steel armor? Could you, like, I mean, finding the secret to Valerian, or this could be another way to bring in some kind of magical horn deal. Uh, okay, that, like it's like, in Valeria. Yeah, but again, there just doesn't seem like there's enough time to do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. That is like time. if this if like if this all went down last season, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, Jorah the Explorer Part Two. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't, I don't know, Emma. Just, just maybe. The, I mean, it's possible. I, just, I hear it's like Dunkirk. I hear the the ticking of the clock in every one of these yeah. scenes. But clearly, they want to do something with it, right? So true. Like Jorah's still hanging around. Jorah's still looking for the cure. Right, his grayscale is still a factor because they show it. So, yeah, one of the what are they going to do with it? I can't. Something. I, I read so much stuff, and I only write down the stuff that I find. But I remember a lot of it. But then I can't give proper attribution to the source, so it sucks. Um, <laughs> but there's this one person. Uh, I can't. Or maybe it was on Vox, but they were they were they were they were spitballing ideas based off this Martin interview in Time. 
And they had this idea that maybe these dragon scale people are like the undead aren't like the living army equivalent of the whites uh-huh. that they can somehow like if they can like fi- find a way to but but this, so 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 you can essentially go over to old Valeria and cure these guys and bring them over as additional manpower but I don't I don't think they need it yeah like, and also I mean, just yeah like yeah you got dragons, you got the Unsullied, you got armies in Westeros, the only you got that, the North, you the, got... The only thing that Theory's got going for is there's a nice symmetry that right. the evil guys are using these, you know, monstrous... Cre- and then the good guys might be too, but then... Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's not impossible, but... Right. Um, but that is... That's a good theory there. Uh, Eric VA, uh, not sure if this has been asked yet, but what are the chances that Bran wargs into one of Danny's dragons? Seems that he is able to warg into an undead giant. A drag- if, if he's able to warg into an undead giant, a dragon wouldn't be out of the question. Does this seem plausible or completely out of the question? Yeah, no, I think it's totally plausible. Yeah, I think that might be one of the things that, um, that, that, that helps them. Like, and, you know, there's this, uh, there's this, the dragon must have three heads, which is another Rhaegar classic that he just pulls out of his uh, ass and we just like, uh-huh. take it for, you know, maybe Rhaegar is just crazy. Maybe Rhaegar just was chugging the nightshade shit that the warlocks were drinking and just, you know, he was just tripping on acid and all this stuff is not (laughs) even true. Um, But, but, you know, people for a long time were trying to figure out, well, who are the heads of the dragon? You know, Danny's got to be one of them. Maybe John, maybe, maybe Tyrion will ride with some kind of crazy modified saddle of his own design. Or maybe, you know, Bran's got like, I, he wants to be able to fly. Well, what's cooler than flying as a dragon? Right. Um, that's a very popular theory that hasn't been discussed much because I think all those things have been beaten into the ground. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess now that Dan, because that's the other thing is that this was I think more popular when Danny didn't have control of her dragons, but it seems like she's got them completely eating out of her hand. Yeah, which probably is a bigger deal in the books, but in the show it's just she just 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 up and mounted Drogon. And they're cool. Yeah. And by extension, since Drogon's the biggest, baddest of the dragons, she's cool with all the dragons now. <laughs> uh-huh. But the other thing, bringing back this three-headed dragons, is they also establish a relationship between Tyrion and the dragons. Right. Which I think is interesting. So I'm, I haven't given up hope in the dragon with three heads theory yet. Yeah. Because even if, you know, I, 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 don't, I can't think of any examples where Targaryens would just use dragons as terror shock troops like Mm -hmm. they always had riders they always had a human to direct their 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 attention and their fire danny is still just one person Uh so it seems like she could benefit from having two other riders and 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 brand warging it would be the best possible type of rider i would think has anybody considered euron Oh boy, you're you are stealing my thunder, buddy. Oh, am I? You let's are stealing because I have a whole. Se- I'm it. about to get to the vaulted section. Yeah. Uh, 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 well, I got. Well, no, we got the Volan car theories, and then we got the Euron stuff. Okay. So, um, I'll save it then. Let's go, uh, Aaron P. When talking about who gets car hold in the last hearth, I find it interesting that they didn't mention the Dreadfort. Now that the House Bolton is completely extinct, why not find a Banner Man or Banner Woman to man the Dreadfort? I think that in that moment they were concerned with the closest. Of the castles, but the, the ones in most direct fire, right? Yeah, but it's like arbitrary because they. Did, but then the Dreadfort's the next one, and <laughs> right, how many along here's the, the way thing, do you want to man? When, when when he sent this in, Aaron sent double Aaron sent this in. I'm like, you know, the other thing is this would be a way for John and Sansa to both be right. Like, let's keep the old families in control of their old houses, but you know, you'd have this ridiculous yeah. moment where like John calls forth, uh, you know, F- Tyrion Bolton. 
Uh-huh. Like the six-year-old Bolton nephew of Roost that we've never met before. It has him. Squ- but, you yeah. know, we all hate the Boltons. We think the Boltons are all, all you know, they're not going to have a warm and fuzzy Lannister moment yeah. with, with Arya. Um, but, like, he could have been like, okay, we'll give the Dreadfort to someone that deserves it, and we'll keep the Umbers and Karstarks in control of the last hearth. And Yeah. Um, so I... That does bug me because he he goes on and says like it follows a pattern where the show just kind of neglects mm-hmm. like oh Dragonstone Stannis left no one owns it you know what yeah. happens to River Run what happens to Castle Rock what's what's going on at Sunspear or Highgarden or any of these castles where everyone's dead no one's in control it's like well fuck it whatever well I mean that's kind of, look at the English countryside littered with castles that. <laughs> Don't have like are are just in total disarray. Don't have anybody manning them. The like, landed gentry collapsed in the last hundred years, man. Right, but my point is like, when does that happen? To, when they can't afford to keep them anymore? I, I feel like that's starting well, to happen in Westeros. Like, you're not, you're not, and that's the other reason why I really like the whole uh, constitutional monarchy, you know, democracy thing is because it does seem like this is a period of time where the landed gentry could collapse. Yeah, because I mean, the richest they, family in the realm is bankrupt. The Tyrells are the only thing keeping them in They've, business. They right? fought bitter battles, to t- and the Tyrells line, as far as we know, is dead. Yeah, like yeah, it's Lady, is... unless Lady Olenna can pump out another one. <laughs> I doubt it's it. Done. I done. Seriously doubt it. So... Unless she's way younger than I think under all that <laughs> garmentation. She's glamored to look old. Uh, maybe so. <laughs> she's actually still. She's one of Westeros's famed milfs. Yeah, um, the sand milfs. <laughs> Uh, the flower, I guess it'd be the flower mills. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're, the other thing is like, how much time do you want the show to catch us up on current events, and how much do you want to focus, stay focused on Danny and John? It's no, a trade off. I, I do think the point stands. Like, they could have had a moment where he, he, you know, compromises here, or not even compromises, but yeah. gives Sansa a little bit of what she wants, which is to right. reward the people who helped him. Right. Um, and that seems and it like that a, perfect been a perfect opportunity. Yeah, because yeah. the Dreadfort's obviously up for grabs. Right. All right, let's talk some val- – let's do some lightning And now rounds. the twins. Like, give give somebody the twins, right? right? Yeah, like, who's yeah. going to own the twins? And the twins are completely vacant. Uh, let's do a lightning round on Valonqar theories. Alexander W., what if Arya assassinates Jaime, acquires his face, and then kills Cersei? It right. seems like a convenient way for Arya to get close to Cersei. It also allows Jaime to be the Valonqar in a way – Mm-hmm. And it also means that Jamie and Cersei will die around the same time. I like it. Do you really? Yeah. I read this and I'm like, this seems like a prophecy dodge. <laughs> this seems like some you Nostradamus so? shit where, like, if yeah. given enough history, something around those times of, of, of the, this guy rambling will come true. To me, it seems like a less obvious way to fulfill the prophecy. One but, that the fans might not have seen coming. Yeah, but and also there's there's also this. They uh, clearly do. A lot of people like to point out that Valencar is a Valerian word, and that in Valerian, that gender uh, gendered language is very fluid huh. because the okay. dragons are sexless, and you know the dragons are like the par- par- pinnacle of their culture. So like it could be little brother, but that that's a kind of patriarchal way to look at it could easily be little sister. Hmm. So Arya with Jamie's face would be the ultimate fulfillment of that type of prophecy. <laughs> right. But I don't, the other thing is like, I don't like it narratively because it does seem like in my mind, they built up the idea that Jamie's going to get fed up with her. Right. The fact that she's been, you know, Cersei has been all about Cersei. And if you read her POV chapters, it's all about how, upset she uh, is because she's she wasn't allowed to lead because she wasn't born with a penis uh-huh. um, which is a perfectly valid thing to get upset about sure but she, i don't think that she's ever cared about jamie the way that jamie's cared about her and she seems mm-hmm. to be willing in fact um 
it's, she sees like Jamie as an extension of herself. Like to the extent that she waxes like romantic about him, it's like, uh, you know, she sees him as the other half of her. And like when he's inside me, I feel complete. But it's not like she loves Jamie so much as she loves this other aspect of herself. <laughs> Weird. So, but I do think that Jamie and all of his POV chapters, it's very obvious that he truly does love his sister. Yeah. I um, think they've done a good job to set that up in the show as well. Yes. I've, I've never felt that there's a, a truly, um, whatever the word is, mutual. Right. Uh, love there then, i felt like it's have, more from jamie's side yeah and i guess they did establish that cersei was cheating with uh yeah lancel uh, with lancel but in the books that's a much more like she's uses she uses her seduction to get her way a lot yeah um but yeah and i i just i just feel like that it seems dramatically appropriate that that he'll betray her and you just never see a scene like he had with edmure right in that tent right where he said look i will kill every last person in this castle mm-hmm. to get back to Cersei if that's what I have to do or every person in your family. Right. Cersei's never said that about Jamie. Uh let's see. Um now we're getting into the Euron stuff. Um Nick S had a comment about the dragon binder horn uh that we he he speculated that could be the gift mm-hmm. um that we already talked about. Uh, and then Megan B really kicks off the Euron discussion. I'm a book reader who has been thinking about the Valonqar puzzle for a long time now. I know the Valonqar hasn't even mentioned in the TV show, but I feel like the D- Double Ds know that the book readers are looking for it and will have the theory play some part in Cersei's TV demise. I agree with that. Like, they cannot introduce it, but have have it still fulfill the prophecy that hasn't been spoken in this show. In fact, sure, there's no yeah. way they can have Cersei be killed by someone else than how George wants her to be killed. Like if, I, I feel like that's one so, way they yeah. can fuck things up royally. Mm. Um, the obvious little brother character is Jamie and Tyrion, but after watching Euron Greyjoy in the season premiere, I had a couple of thoughts. Balon Greyjoy is the oldest sibling. Euron is his younger brother. Check. Valonqar is a word in the Valerian language. Euron is a character with strong association to Valeria, both in the books and the show. He's sailed to that land and taken treasure from it. In the book preview chapter released by Gurm, Euron has a full suit of Valerian armor. Hmm. Neither Jamie nor Tyrion has an association to Valeria. If Euron comes back to King's Landing with a good enough gift, Cersei's confident, overconfident enough to bring Euron onto her team. We know from the season trailers that Jamie's going to leave King's Landing at some point to lead the army against Danny's forces. It's doubtful he would be in charge of the army if he killed Cersei beforehand, which mm-hmm. implies that at some point... Jamie won't be around to watch Cersei's back. Euron's promised his people all of the uh, Seven Kingdoms. He needs to fulfill his promise or he loses his support structure. Euron's an insane, murderous bastard. If he thinks he will get away with it, even for a moment, he'll absolutely try to kill Cersei and take the throne. Tinfoil, I think Euron is going to be the one who kills Cersei in the TV show. He's the younger brother. He has a connection with the Valerian language. It seems like he will be in proximity to commit the crime, and he's crazy enough to do it. The way the show is going, I think it is likely that Cersei will agree to marry Euron and Jamie will be heartbroken and leave town rather than stay for the wedding, at which point Euron murders Cersei and Jamie tries to commit suicide by dragon, which explains kind of his insane charge towards what we presume is a dragon that we saw in the trailer. Um, what do you think about all this? And also, I want to slip in one mm. other piece of knowledge that was written in by countless people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Euron says that he wants to marry the, pr- the the most beautiful woman in the world. He does not say Cersei. <laughs> right. So he could, while Jamie's away, murder Cersei and intend to 
you know, impress Danny with like, hey, let's just rule it as king. Now, what Danny reacts to that on? That's that's a whole other level to the to the stuff. What do you what right. do you think about this? You're on Greyjoy yeah. theory. Uh, that's interesting. I was going to come at it from the Dragon Rider thing, but uh, huh, killing Cersei. I mean, things could line up that way. It's a compelling case as far as like Jamie being out of town when it happens. Yeah, up until this um, last... Because I think the judgment that Cersei is willing to partner with Euron if he brings back the right gift is spot on. Mm-hmm. That's how I read that scene. Do you... I mean, up until last season, I thought the Greyjoys were just a dead dead plot line. Yeah. Um, that they were going to be, you know, like, you know, uh, Quentin Martell and like the Fagon stuff, that that was going to be just stuff that the Double Ds... Streamline the fact that they brought him back and are making him a central character makes me think yeah. that he might be more vital to the way the story ends than I initially imagined. Yeah, his ships are certainly vital. Um, whether the character himself will be super important going forward, I think it's still up in the air. But those ships are super important to Cersei. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so this leads me to the other the thing I want to close on, which is like some Euron tinfoil theory okay. type stuff um, because uh-huh. I've like I I in the in the off season and the off break I read all the preview chapters I rubbed sh- shoulders and elbows with a lot of theory crafters down at the 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 con uh, kind of thrones um, and I got kind of like I, I guess a, a an education and kind of the state of the art theory, theory crafting around Euron and there's a lot of interesting parallels with Euron and Blood Raven and Bran and I'm going to consider some of these from the books. Um, a description of Blood Raven from the World of Ice and Fire, which is the encyclopedia kind of compendium. Blood so, Raven, just for people who aren't oh, sure sorry. what that term is. Thank you. He's the three-eyed raven. He's right. the person who was uh, in the tree, all up in the tree that oh. Bran learned uh, green seeing from. Uh, it became common to refer to. So this is referring to Blood Raven when he was still a man. That was Brendan Rivers, one of the great bastards. Um, it became common to refer to his thousand eyes in one, and men both high and low began to distrust their neighbor for fear of there being a spy in Blood Raven's employ. This is this like I'm 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 making connections between Blood Raven and Euron here. Okay, Euron, as described by Victorian, it says uh, Victorian says he looks unchanged. His hair was still as black as midnight sea. There was never a, was never a white cap to be seen. His face was still smooth and pale beneath his neat dark beard. A black leather patch covered Euron's left eye, but his right eye was blue as a summer sky. Huh. This showing that the reason that the, the three-eyed raven's called a thousand eyes in one is because he only has the one eye. He lost his eye in battle. Okay. Um, and he says his, his smiling eye, thought Victorian, uh, his crow's eye. And that, that's one of the nicknames for Euron is Crow's Eye. And also the Blood Raven is called the Three-Eyed Raven. Um, This is is an encounter, the the first encounter Bran has with the Three-Eyed Raven. Are you the Three-Eyed Crow? Bran heard himself say. A Three-Eyed Crow should have three eyes. He has only one, and that one is red. Bran could feel the eye staring at him, shining like a pool of blood in the torchlight, whereas other eyes should have been a thin white root grew from an empty socket down his cheek and into his neck. Then from the new preview chapter from the Winds of Winter, the Forsaken, this is the sigil that uh, Euron has chosen from himself. So it's from their, the sterns of the ships flew a flag the priest had never seen before, a red eye with a black pupil beneath an iron crown supported by two crows. 
and you, you can the, see that red eye on the exactly the ship that the pulls show, in. Yeah. So you see the connection between the 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 three eyed raven and the Euron continues. And here's something interesting. Um, I want to learn magic. Brand told him the crow promised that I would fly. Euron's recounting a story from his youth. It says Euron stood by the window drinking from a silver cup. He wore the sable cloak he took from Black Tide, his red leather eye patch, and nothing else. When I was a boy, I dreamt I could fly, he announced. When I woke, I couldn't, or so the maester said. But what if he lied? So hmm. there's there's some thin stuff here because this is a theory that's yeah. in that like the books just stopped coming out to support. But Euron also has boasted of traveling to the dark lands of Ashai and has, sm- has sailed through the Smoking Sea and has walked through the ruins of old Valeria. Uh, like I said, his preview chapter reveals that he has a full suit of Valerian steel armor, something that no one's seen for thousands of years. Um, so there's a couple of th- main theories. One, that Euron was some sort of failed apprentice of the Three-Eyed Crow. And okay. the evidence of that is that it seems like the three-eyed row approaches his his candidates in dreams. Like he started recruiting Dr- Bran uh, by his dreams, promising he could fly. And Euron tells a story where he had this dream that yeah ended up not going uh, anywhere. Um, again, the only support for that is that single statement and the fact that the 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 blood raven and euron are connected through this the the fact that they have the one eye and the fact that they're you know a lot of their personal symbology is the same mm-hmm. um and also the fact that euron has kind of like gone around the globe and he studied he's been he 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 drinks like immense quantities of the warlocks um uh wine that makes him see visions his lips are stained blue because he drinks them so much he's like the <laughs> warlocks of 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 karth um, and he's learned all this dark magic and black magic. Um, the, another theory is that Euron is going to be like the Saruman to the Three-Eyed Crow's Sauron. There's a theory that the Three-Eyed Crow is actually not working for humanity, that he's eventually going to be proven a traitor, mm-hmm. and that Euron is kind of like his the, the guy that's maneuvering things um, uh, on his behalf. And there's the flip side of that, that theory. That theory sounds odd to me because of their personalities <laughs> well but yeah well that's the thing because the show blood raven is a lot cuddlier than the okay. book blood raven because the book but the book blood raven is literally a mummified corpse with roots growing out of his eyeballs <laughs> right he's forcing brand to eat this crazy paste that might have human <laughs> blood in it that a lot of people think is actually jojen uh-huh. That's been liquefied and, and being fed to him as a human sacrifice. Jesus. Um, okay. So there, that's like I think a lot of this is like more book theory. But the other flip side of that mm-hmm. is that Euron is being used as a pawn to collect things that a hero might need to uh, to defeat the White Walkers. That he might gotcha. need a a horn to bind dragons so he can use their dragon fire. He might need a suit of of Valerian steel armor to protect himself and that Euron is going around and getting these things thinking that he's going for world domination and he's actually going to have all these things taken from him and given him to the true, uh, uh, um, the, the, the true hero. That seems more reasonable. But here's the third theory that I like, because in this preview chapter to forsaken, um, there's, he's just, Euron's just ranting and raving about how he wants to kill all the gods and make himself one. And uh-huh. he forces his brother, Aaron Dampere, uh, to drink this, this warlock's brew that causes him to trip balls. And he sees Euron sitting on the Iron Throne, and in all the spikes of the Iron Throne, there's like the drowned god is impaled 
the uh, the seven gods from Wester from from the the faith of the seven is there. The old gods are impaled. Hmm. Uh, all these gods that he doesn't even recognize are and 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 Euron is like this 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 powerful thing that's 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 um, gathered all this power to himself, and he's sacrificed thousands of blood sacrifices to increase his power. And that his study of black magic from around the world and the fact that he might have tootled. Uh, under the the three eyed raven has convinced him that he can become a god, and hmm. these theories kind of in um, um, there 's a couple of versions of that one is that he 's going to become the human face of the white walkers, like a locutus of Borg character right um, that you know since the others are this uh, the, these white walkers are are these others that we can 't relate to that you need a, a, to put a human face to to have them be a compelling villain because Martin doesn't usually just have these like faceless, pure evil villains. Um, or the other thing is what what um, Euron hopes is that he's actually going to overthrow the Knights King and become the leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, that feels some... very much more Euron to me. And you think of like this, this <laughs> well, I know of him. like maybe the true pur- purpose of this dragon horn is to destroy their Knights King, and he's got a Valerian steel armor, so they can't even touch him. Mm-hmm. And he's going to come like there might be the shocking scene where Euron just kills the Knights King and takes over. Yeah. And becomes a white himself, and now we've got a human face that we can root against. And and you know these aren't just these run away weapons of war that 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 don't even remember. You know because that's the thing they've established the White Walkers as being these um, almost like runaway weapons of war that don't even have a purpose anymore. There's something the Children of Forest tried to kill the the to kill the first men with, and it, it went haywire. Yeah. Um, but it's you know we we've, we've talked about this in, in podcasts before that that's not a very Martin kind of villain. It's not a villain with a lot of dimensions. It's essentially a Terminator, mm-hmm. um, which can be a great villain, but not necessarily a great Martin villain. Okay. So what do you, what do you think of any, that, Jesus, that's, that's, that's a lot, a lot to of take stuff. In. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the ones that lean more toward uh, ego and, and the search of godhood feel a lot more Euron to me, mm-hmm. the way he's portrayed in the show. Right. Um, he does not seem like an agent for good. In my opinion, the real problem of the show is they've not then maybe not... an unwitting agent for good. Like if he's being used right. to collect these artifacts that can be used to fight the Night King, sure. But I don't think his intention is to use them to protect Westeros. Yeah, and the problem. So I I buy these theories that Euron is more important to the plot than we think. Because else, why uh-huh. bring the Greyjoys back? Right. Um, but there's a couple things I don't like. Number one, the preview chapter, the Forsaken, is the worst sort of Ramsey Bolton kind of torture porn that you'll ever see. And I kind of don't think the show needs more of that at this stage. The other thing is um, all this mystical stuff, all this, you know, him having this magic guy, all this, him quaffing this vast quantities of the warlocks brew, all this, um, him having a Valerian uh, steel suit and having that. None of that is in the show. That's true. Yeah. Euron is just a warlord. (laughs) Maybe he comes back with like 15 gifts. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's got a Valerian steel suit. Maybe but that, he's that, got that, that starts falling afoul of my whole like. They got to be careful about introducing new things, yeah. new super weapons, new abilities, new and and if uh, that. But I wonder if there's like a um, a more grounded, streamlined version of Euron. Just you know, maybe he does conquer Cersei, and then maybe Danny spurns him, and then he learns about the others, and he goes to make an alliance with them, and yeah. the Night King just. You know, Lucutus is him. Uh-huh. So now he's the he's the swagger. He's going to be the swaggery spokesperson that's talking, you know, talking smack to John across the battlefield with the Knights King behind him. That seems 
maybe like a, a, a stronger possibility. Yeah, I'm with you. It's hard to finalize a deal with that Knights King, though. You go to shake his hand, and right, you kind of get the deal that he offers, <laughs> regardless right. of he's, what he it just is. Marked me. What does this even yeah. mean? And he just hisses at you. <laughs> that, are we ever going to hear hear those guys talk? I don't know. That's a good question. Because we know they were once men. Mm-hmm. They've got all the equipment for it. Yep. Uh, it's kind of weird that they haven't done anything besides slowly raise their arms and and get into sword fights and gloat. Yeah, I mean they. So they they communicate their languages entirely uh, uh, based in gloating. Have a gloating based language, <laughs> right? Just the subtle nuances and but I body mean, language. Do they have an actual verbalized language? Because like, if you look where they're recruiting from, it's babies, right? Like these crasters, babies potentially. Yeah, but it's not like they they would they would they like once you become one of these white walkers do you need to verbally communicate oh maybe they have some do you kinda, have some kind of psychic connection right because through, they can just they can just go and intrude on brand's vision so you right. maybe they do they maybe they, yeah yeah that's a good theory that I don't they're know just all telepaths yeah um we'll i don't know but like i said i'm i'm open to the idea you're on being a lot more important to the plot maybe even the big human face of the bad by the end of the series could be those are things i'm going to be looking for but i'm i am really curious about what this gift is going to be yeah uh, do you I, I don't feel like we'll find out next episode either no that feels like something that's going to be more resolved in the mids we might see yep. him doing stuff but we're not going to actually know what the hell uh, is going on yeah we'll probably see him going off in a direction one direction He's gonna, I mean, he's, he's got to choose he's, a direction. He's got the outfit for the boy band already. He, does. he totally does. He's the bad one. <laughs> he's the the little dirty one that you're not quite sure about. But yeah, you know. we're not talking about peeing in a mop bucket bad. We're talking about like <laughs> right. raping and pillaging bad. He's, he's a little worse than like uh, I had to take I, yeah, Joey Fatone. But yeah, <laughs> after I read that Forsaken chapter, I felt like I had to go take a shower. I was like, Good God, some bad shit. Huh. All right. That's all we got for the spoiler section. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, of course, we'll be back next week with another full lineup. Starting Sunday night, we got the instant take where yeah. we come on and talk uh, about our first impressions, followed by Tuesday, our full featured scene by scene recap podcast. And then next Friday, we'll have another spoiler take. I still got a couple more theories that I want to bust out on you. I'm not sure whether I want to get them all over at the, fir- at the, at the at up front or if I want to space them out over the season. Because uh, I was hoping to get a couple special guests in here to help me do that, too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's what's coming up. Uh, send feedback in to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Um, I don't know if you guys were following this, but we actually ended up becoming the number one podcast on all of iTunes before the week was over. Right. Thank you, everyone. <sighs> Mind for, blown. We, Jesus. As I type, we have about a half million people that have downloaded that podcast. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah, thank you to everyone. It's... Thanks for everyone who's been recommending us on Reddit, who's been sharing us on social media, who's mm-hmm. helped get us over to uh, Hump. Uh, we are eternally grateful. Uh, I have some real quick housekeeping notes. Uh, I forgot to do this on the main podcast, but I want to thank the Hi- Highway Superstar for yeah. our fantastic Game of Thrones uh, remix. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an 80s television inspired. Uh, some people call it Throne Wolf. Some people call it Throne Rider. Uh, but I think it's catchy and it's awesome. And thanks to Highway Superstar for letting us use it. Yeah, you can find the link to all of his stuff in the show notes, and, and or each... just go to SoundCloud, search Highway Superstar, you'll find it. Boom. Uh, we also just recorded a podcast on Dunkirk. You can have the spoiler-free version for free. Uh, if you're a club member, you can get our spoiler-filled thoughts. Uh, we also had our playthrough of Bad Guy Javi. 
the final uh, chapter in the season three of the Telltale Walking Dead video game. Um, and I also recorded last uh, two, uh, two nights ago a podcast with Shane Bowman of the Film Schlubs podcast about Twin Peaks. Uh, I had just gotten done watching the, the classic series, so we reminisced about what the fandom was like back in the day, and uh, he kind of teased me with some of the stuff on the new show, and hopefully we'll get together to, to, to cover the, the new show on Showtime real soon, but that's going to be hitting early next week. Uh, and that's what's going on. You can find all this stuff at baldmove.com. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we will see you next week with more great Game of Thrones coverage. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.